just because you have this successful business doesn't mean you have to keep running it in the same way that you have all these years. Just because you've reached this level of success doesn't mean that you have to continue doing living your life in the same way. In fact, you might even have more freedom now to like change things up. So let's look at that. Let's take advantage of that. Welcome to Outside by Design. Today I'm thrilled by who the guest is. Like, I'm just going to fangirl my heart out. This guest is one of my all-time favorite designers, one of my favorite artists. I've followed her for years, admired how she runs her business, how she shows up as herself, um, and just like how she brings her own personal style to everything. And yeah, she's a total hero of mine. So what a privilege to be able to ask her whatever I wanted for an hour. Like, wow. Um, and I am talking about Lisa Congdon. She's the coolest. If you don't know who Lisa Congdon is, immediately go to Instagram and look her up, look at her work, go to lisacongdon.com um, because her style is unique and she's just awesome. So there, now that that's out of the way, I tried to stay cool during the interview, but like this woman's just such a badass. So I'm going to stop talking. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to Outside by Design, a podcast about people who dared to make big changes to their lives in order to create something more aligned with their truth. It's kind of a business podcast, but it's really more about the business of being human, being brave, and listening to your gut no matter what. I'm your host, Lisa Slagle, and I'm a creative director, writer, and owner of Wheelie, a creative agency for people who thrive outside. I started my company 14 years ago and have gotten to meet tons of interesting athletes, creatives, CEOs, and marketing teams. So this is a podcast where I get to talk to colleagues, clients, and friends about things outside of project work, outside the norm, and most importantly, outside all of it by design. Yeah, Lisa, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm so excited to talk to you. Yeah. And I'm personally really excited to talk to you because one, Lisa's stick together. And two, um, I've always admired you. Like I don't have that many women in the creative industry that are just doing a lot. Um, mm -hmm. And so you're just someone I've followed for years and just really admired. And I love your work. So. Oh, thank you. Yeah. It's like very exciting to be able to ask you anything for an hour. <laughs> uh, so I think the first thing I kind of want to introduce around you is just the fact that you're a, an artist um, and you started when you were nearly 40, right? That's when mm. you became an artist, if you will. Um, how, like, how did you, how did you get to that point where you were just ready to do something totally different? Um, that's such a great question. I, I, so as I look back on my life, I realize that I've probably been an artist way longer than, you know, um, like longer ago than when I was 40. I'm 55 now. So I've been doing this professionally for 15 years and then I've been making, well, I should say I left my job when I was 40. I, had an art business for a few years before that. So I've been doing it professionally for like almost 20 years. Um, and it wasn't until I was probably about 30 or 31 that I first 
started drawing or painting. And it kind of happened on accident, to be honest. Um, I wonder sometimes if like this confluence of events in my life hadn't happened, like would I be where I am now? It's really hard to say. So when I was in my early 30s, I went through a really big breakup um, with somebody that I had been in a relationship with for a long time, for nearly my entire adult life at that point. We had been together for almost a decade. and I was in my early 20s when I met her. And um, I suddenly found myself like a little bit lost. Um, like my association with adulthood was like being in a relationship and, um, you know, we lived together and we shared everything from clothes to <laughs> expenses. Um, and I, I went on this journey to sort of find myself, which I think happens I feel like there's like these junctures in life where, where you're kind of realize that you're not where you want to be or that there's more to life. Um, and I feel like it happens to a lot of people when they're 30 anyway. So maybe I would have gone through this regardless. And that might have had something to do with why we ended the relationship. But um, I just started this creative journey. Um, and I was also working at the time at a nonprofit job that I loved very much, but it was, um, it, it was intense and not very creative. And so when I would get off work, I had all this time on my hands because I was single. I was living by myself and I just became really interested in making stuff. Um, I think it was partly like a way to keep myself busy and partly, um, a way to distract myself and partly a way to heal maybe from what I was going through. So I took some drawing classes at this like local um, uh, community center. I took some classes, some painting classes at you know UC Berkeley Extension. I was living in San Francisco at the time. Um, I started like reading books about artists. I just became really interested in, in art and design. And it, what's interesting is the person that I was in a relationship with previous to that was an artist. And so she had sort of introduced me to all of these things, but I never really explored them for myself until our relationship was over. And I set, I just set up a little like studio at my kitchen table and, um, you know, started making stuff and painting. Um, I was sewing a lot. I had a sewing machine. I was cooking. I was kind of like, I was really into photography. Like I just really devoted myself outside of work to just living a creative life. And I started making new friends. Um, this was like back in the day, like the, the birth of blogs, like when everyone had a type pad blog or, and, or blogger, um, was like the platform. And I started a type pad blog and I met other people who read my blog. And then I was on Flickr, which was like this photo sharing site. Yep. And met other people who were like me, like just kind of exploring different creative pursuits. And I just started to make friends and some, you know, who lived in San Francisco um, and I would meet up with them. And my, my other friends thought I was completely crazy because I was like going on like, you know, friend dates with people from the internet, which now everybody does all of the time, right? Like it's such a normal way to meet people and build community, but it was not normal then. 
And I think my other friends were sort of like, I remember once I had a gathering for a bunch of us who had met on Flickr and we were all like crafters and artists. And she's like, you're inviting these people over to your house. You don't even know them. Um, and I'm, I was like, I know it's a little risky, but I did. And it was amazing. And I just started this kind of like new life with this new community. Meanwhile, um, I had lots, a whole other life, you know, I was a competitive swimmer and had, you know, was coaching and traveling to compete in swimming. And I, you know, had a whole community around that. And, um, so my life became pretty rich. And then, um, yeah, eventually like one thing led to another and I was like, I feel like I need to do this. Like, I feel like this needs to be my life. And I know I don't have any training. I don't have any schooling. I don't, but I think I can do this. And so this was at the beginning of Etsy. I opened an Etsy shop and started selling some stuff. I had a few kind of like local neighborhood shows, you know, in little boutiques. And, um, you know, it's hard to imagine. It, it, it would have been impossible to imagine then that I would be doing what I do now at the scale that I do it. Partly mm -hmm. because the technology wasn't there at the time. You know, there was no social media. You know, this was all very, like, maybe there was Facebook, but that was it, you know. Um, and then eventually, um, you know, every year, like, some new thing would come on the scene or some I would learn some new technology or there was a new way to kind of connect with people. And um, by 2008... I like signed with an illustration agent. I had sort of built my portfolio and um, had made enough work that I attracted the attention of of a pretty well known agent. And you know, I make I tell that story, and you know, less than five minutes ago, I was talking about how I had just started, and it really did happen both very quickly and also over the course of five years. You know, it's not like overnight I became this artist that I am today. It was just like I became good enough that um, I was willing to like put my work out into the world and there were people who liked it. And that work looks very different than the work I make now, but it was my starting place. And if I'm good at, if I'm, if I'm good at one thing, it's like not being perfect mm -hmm. and not waiting for perfection. I learned that from my mother and um, like I, I kind of know when something's just good enough to put out into the world and I'm pretty good at taking risks and and so then over the years I just sort of like built this art career that is now kind of phenomenally big and um, you know I run a small company so that's kind of how it started though like very organically and like because I really just loved it and wanted to do it and I figured it out. Yeah, I think that's so cool. And I love that you just went like you went for it um, without fighting it. And you make that journey sound like, very easy, um, like you're kind of going with the flow of what feels good. And it, like, it was it kind of driven that way of going with like, yeah, this is working. I'll do more of it. Yeah, definitely. And also, um, to be honest, I, I mean, there were I mean, there were, of course, times when I was like, I literally had $10 in the bank account and I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I think that the creative flow part, the desire to make work, my ability to like put myself out there, those are things that all, I think both because I was a little bit older 
You know, I wasn't mm-hmm. fresh out of art school. I was at the time in my 30s and um, I was, uh, I, you know, I had I had jobs where I had to put myself out there and communicate with people. And like I had a, a certain amount of drive that was either innate or somehow that I had learned in my former career that really helped me. But, uh, you know, anybody who's a creative person can tell you that you can have all of those things and you can still not be able to pay the bills at the end of the day. So, you know, those things came easily to me and those things flowed. But, you know, I really did struggle in the beginning with like, how am I going to make this work? Like, you know, and one of the things I did was I sort of like um, left my job very slowly. Um, I had a full-time job and I, um, and then I went to part-time and then I consulted on the side for several years. Um, before I went full time, I opened a store with my friend, which was another source of income that was less reliant on my own talents, but more just like attracting customers. So I figured out a way to sort of incrementally get from the place where um, I, I, you know, was making a full time living to being an artist, making a full time living by doing kind of like cobbling together different ways of, um, you know, paying the bills because you can have all of the drive and motivation and creativity in the world. But if you're not, you know, making an income from your work, you can't, um, you have to have a, you know, you have to have another job or a way to support yourself. And so there were definitely struggles in there and times when I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and there was a big learning curve, but, and the internet wasn't full of classes and articles on how to make a living as an artist (laughs) like there are today so I don't mean to make it sound easy but it was once I figured once I discovered that this is what I wanted to do in some way or another um it really did flow for me um and but that doesn't mean that like I immediately found success that part took a while Mm -hmm. um so okay so I started my company when I was 22 And I started hiring people when I was 25. And I mean, yeah, it's a creative agency. So at this age, I'm 36. I've creative directed for like 350 brands. And sometimes I have an existential crisis around like, what am I, a parrot? Like I can talk like a ski company. I can talk like a watch company. I can talk like a bank. And so I found your the the book you wrote. Um, What's it called? Find your artistic voice artistic voice yeah oh my gosh I found like I was having like a existential crisis I was like I need this book and I love how you like explain um bringing yourself into your work and so I guess my question to you is because you have such a strong style um how do you work with brands where you're meeting those brand goals but you're also bringing yourself into it because I really admire I so admire how you do that it's pretty tricky, but um, what's interesting now is that most of the brand collaborations that I get, or if not all of them, they come to me because they want my style. They want me. They want my voice infused into it. Um, I mean, that's not always true, but uh, but it is often true. So there's that. Um, I think the, the other part of it is that... Um, I mean, there, there is always this tension. For example, I did this job recently for a major, I can't, I can't say who it is yet because the thing hasn't come out, but it's like a major alcohol brand and it was packaging and they wanted like full buyout of 
the imagery that was going on the packaging. And, but it included a lot of iconic things that I use in my work. Um, like people want the symbols that I use and they want like all of the things that are associated with me. And we were like, no, <laughs> you can't own that. Right. Like mm -hmm. that's part of Lisa's style. Um, and so you have a choice. Um, and if you want that, you have, you know, a, she's never going to give it to you, even if you paid her a lot of money, because like, that's how she makes her livelihood. So sometimes we have to have hard conversations, you know, um, I think that I am, like I said, I'm really lucky because a lot of times brands will come to me and I actually like, once the product comes out, I'm, I'm wearing it or I'm doing a photo shoot with it. Like they want me to be associated with it. And so, and they want my personal story. They want to know, you know, why pride is meaningful to me or like why, um, you know, I love, why I love to ride my bike. Um, it's, it, you know, it's like brands understand that story, you know, this storytelling is, is like such a powerful tool and mm -hmm. getting people to relate to whatever, whatever it is that you're trying to sell. And, um, I think because before I ever had a brand collaboration, my brand became about not just my visual length, like my visual vocabulary, my visual language, but also like who I was as a person and what I stand for. Uh -huh. Right. And, um, and so most of the time, you know, every now and again, you know, I'll hear from some potential client and I'm like, you're asking me to do work for you. Like you stand for all the things that you obviously haven't done your research, right? Like, <laughs> you stand for all the things that I'm like, not, you know, and, but 95% of the time I, you know, I get to work with brands that share values, you know, um. that share the same values as I do. And so it isn't too much of a struggle. Um, I did, I did a really big job for Amazon last year and I was, um, uh, like designing all of these icons and like things that were going to go on their sort of like back to school pages of the Amazon website to, you know, um, for both college and elementary and high school. And it was a super fun job, but I'm just like, you have to, um, somewhere we have to do something where you tell people that I did this work because people are going to accuse you of ripping me off. Right. Cause my name wasn't mm -hmm. on yeah. work is so recognizable that, um, when we do kind of, when I am behind the scenes, but I'm making artwork for a major brand, you know, like we have to talk about it out loud in the open because people are going to come at me and say, Amazon's ripping you off or, you know, whatever. Um, uh -huh. so it's like, it's gotten to the point now where we almost always like I'm part of that bigger conversation when a product comes out, when my art is on it, because, because my style is so recognizable. That is really interesting. And I think it's awesome that your community is like, Hey, don't rip her yeah. off. Yeah, I know. Well, one time recently there was like a company that, um, designed a beer can and like basically, you know how like art is on can wine cans and yeah. beer cans all the time now, which is cool. But like somebody, some agency was working with this brewery and like totally copied one of my designs and put it on the can. Like I'm like, don't understand. Like I was like, oh, some junior art director or some junior designer just got fired today. <laughs> we contacted them and we're like, hello. And of course the brewery didn't know anything about it. They just, they didn't know who I was. Like the designer had, you know, used my work 
um, or copied my work, traced my work and put it on the can. Yeah. And I was like, either stupid or lazy or both. I'm not sure because literally the day the can was like in the new seasons, which is the grocery store here in Portland, people yeah. were texting me pictures like, congratulations on this beautiful can. Oh my gosh. And I was like, oh, actually I, had, I did not make that. So the opposite also happens. Like people will stand up for me, but also, you know, you know, that's the thing these days. Like when you have a style that is so I iconic, it's, it, you know, people will notice if you copy, you know, and we all do that when we're starting out, right? Like everybody is like influenced and imitates, you know, oh, but I'm, yes, I was obsessed with Aaron Draplin. Yeah. yeah. I, I loved everything. Yeah. Aaron's amazing too. Yeah. And he's yeah. so prolific that yeah. like, there's so much to absorb. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was like drawing snakes and all my stuff. And I was like, snakes aren't really like me. But cool. Thanks for thanks for that, Aaron. Um, but yeah, like when I, yeah, when I, I remember being in college, being so. But yeah, exactly. You grow out of that, and then to be professional, it's it's very different. Yeah, yeah. but everyone yeah. goes through that phase. But yeah, to be professional, not no longer a good idea. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Um, okay, I want to talk to you about cycling because our audience love you know it's an outdoor industry um, podcast, so. I think it's really cool. You just got sponsored by Smith. Um, you have a bunch of cycling goals this year. I think I saw the Oregon Triple Crown, maybe. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess like, how's how's your cycling season? What's going on there? <laughs> so far, so good. Um, I I hired a coach who happens to also be a friend of mine, and um, that has like made a huge difference. I've never I've been cycling since I was twenty eight. And so a very long time, but I never really took it very seriously. And I mentioned earlier that I think people go through existential crisis crises when they're 30. I think it also happens when you're 50. And so for me, it was like, I think just sort of like, well, it was like being in my early fifties and pandemic, I think really just impacted my, I also had breast cancer in oh. 2020 they caught it really early and like I was fine and my treatment was not you know I didn't have to have chemo I had radiation but I I think just sort of like you know that trifecta for me just really made me say like how do I want to live my life what do I want to be doing how do I want to be spending my time I already have this dream career but like what is outside of work that I love and I couldn't necessarily answer that question and I was already on a cycling team and was riding, but I just got really, I, didn't, I had a lot of free time because all my travel was canceled. Like so much that used to be fill up my days was no longer filling up my days because we were all at home, not really knowing what's going on and I had less work. So I just started riding more and I got a gravel bike and I started racing gravel and I never really raced bikes at all before. Um, and my, my, my way of sort of training was like I would just go out and ride my bike a lot and um, I got really strong in 2021 which was like my first full year of like gravel racing and um, you know fell more in love with it got really involved in the community met friends met the woman who's now my coach and um, and then uh, you know I just realized that I kind of hit this plateau and I was like um, 
I really want to learn how to get faster. I know, is it even possible at my age? I don't know. Like, am I, have I kind of peaked already in my life? And so I, I just was like, I'm going to do everything I can to see like how strong a cyclist I can become at 54 mm-hmm. last year. And so I hired my friend Serena to coach me. I, um, I changed, like I started eating more. Um, I realized I had been sort of under fueling. Mm-hmm. I, um, I got on a strategic training plan. I started going to a gym where I'm like lifting. It's like a, it's like one of those, it's just like a weight training gym basically. So I go there twice a week. Um, and, uh, I don't know. I, I, I started like, I only work four days a week now, so I have Fridays to train and I just, I've kind of like poured myself into cycling and so far it's been amazing. Like, um, I'm still, I haven't beaten all of my like PRs from 2021, which is the year I kind of started getting into it, but I am getting stronger. And, um, at a recent race, I like beat my time by 22 minutes, the time from last year. And then I recently had a double header weekend at another couple of gravel races and, um, podiumed on both of those races. And I'm, racing the Oregon triple crown or I'm sorry the I am racing the Oregon triple crown two of the races are already over and I'm doing the Oregon Grand Fondo a week from this weekend so once I complete that I will have completed the triple crown and um and that'll be another interesting one for me it's 117 miles it's a road race not a gravel race but um so I'm I'm already seeing like my athletic you know performance um, like changing and getting so much better and I'm racing faster. Um, and it's really exciting. And I've also, I think what's even more exciting for me is just that, that I'm, I feel like I really, like I'm part of the cycling community. Um, the gravel cycling community is super, um, unconventional, like compared to road cycling. And which is why I was like so unintimidated by it when I first started doing it. Like people were like, yeah, you just go. It's like a ride. It's not even, you don't even have to race if you want, if you don't want to, it's just go have fun. And like that so appealed to me. And now of course, you know, I'm a Capricorn. So like, you know, that was fun for a year, but now I want to (laughs) win. So now I'm just like training a lot harder. And, um, uh, I mean, I'm still having a blast, but like there is one race that's coming up um at the Oregon Trail Gravel Grinder which I've done twice which is a five-day stage race and I was just like done with it like it's very technical and it's very hard and um, I don't even know how I completed it two years in a row but like now I'm going to run the information booth for Oregon Trail Gravel Grinder like I'm finding ways to stay involved you know I'm going to drive my my coach's van um for her because you know she's going to be riding from point to point so she needs somebody to drive her van so like there's these ways that I've gotten really involved in cycling to the point where like, yeah, I have a sponsor now, um, which is kind of crazy. Um, and that all kind of happened because the guy who runs the marketing team for Smith, um, follows me and has followed me, but like saw that I got this new bike built by Argonaut, this bike brand in Bend. And, um, like, was super stoked to see how stoked I was to have this new bike, which I had custom built and has my artwork all over it. Like they hand painted it for me. And 
he saw how excited I was about my bike and how I was like talking about it. And he was like, oh, we need her on our team, right? <laughs> to, you know, to talk about our stuff. And so we had this, like, you know, it took a couple months, but then I finally like, um, you know, signed with them and that was cool. But yeah, it's weird. Like I'm this like 55 year old, like middle-aged woman and I just got my first bike sponsor. So yeah. It's so cool. Um, I'm really good friends with Rebecca Rush. And oh, cool. And I love Rebecca, but she, yeah, she's who I call for like cycling advice. I just got a gravel bike and I'm like, is it supposed to be this terrifying? Like it's scarier than mountain biking. Yeah, it's so scary. She's just laughing. Well, I don't know Rebecca, but, um, but I probably will talk to her. I'm doing this project, um, with Dominique Powers, who's a, like a cycling photographer. She's a cyclist, but also like photographs. She's one of the people who photographs all the big races. And we are doing this project together where we're like photographing and um, I will interview and then do some artwork that relates to the photos. Um, But basically women and non-binary folks who, and trans folks who are like leaders in gravel cycling. Uh And uh, Rebecca's one, hopefully going to be one of our subjects. So, um, you know, and then my coach is also friends with her and yeah. um, races that her big race every year and stuff. But yeah, she is a force. She's cool. She is a yeah. force. Yeah. Cool. That project sounds awesome. So I hope, yeah. I hope she does it. Yeah, I hope so too. Um, okay. The next thing I want to ask you about, of course, loud quitting. Yes. And I'm really interested. I just like how you live. I like how you're just like, okay, I did this podcast for two years. I'm not going to do it anymore. Um, so like, yeah, I guess this concept, I guess explain in your words, loud quitting. Um, and then, yeah, I think it's so cool. Thank you. So I kind of had this like, like, uh, reckoning with myself last year. Um, I, it was a really horrible year. It started off fine, but 2022 was one of those years that like was super challenging for me. It was challenging in so many ways. Like lots of things went wrong last year in my business, in my personal life. And um, everything's fine now. <laughs> but um, there were moments when I was like, not sure everything was going to be fine. And, um, I got really burned out and, um, you know, was really struggling in lots of parts of my life. Um, like didn't ride very much last year and, um, was super anxious and, and I, and I had this like moment where I was like, what am I doing? You know, I work so hard. I'm so burned out. Um, there are all these things that I love to do, but I'm not really doing them enough. I don't sleep well. I wake up anxious every day. Like from the outside, it looks like, you know, I'm living the dream, but I'm not super happy. And, um, my, one of my, my employee, Amy, she always says that the thing she loves about me the most is that I'm very decisive. And, um, And it's true. It's like, once I decide I'm done with something, I really will just like say goodbye to it. And I just woke up one morning and was like, I'm 
done being stressed out. I'm done. Like I had convinced myself for so long that all of the stress I was experiencing was worth it because I had built this business and, you know, and this life. And, and I was like, okay, well, now it's time for something new. And so I, I sort of made, started making this list of everything that I spent time doing that maybe I loved, but also had an element of like stressing me out. Um, podcast is a really great example of that. Like I loved podcasting and I did it for two years, but, but I was noticing every time I had to record a podcast, I would get nervous and I would like, you know, feel like I didn't have time to prepare as well as I wanted to. And then, and then even after I had these amazing conversations and then I had to go through and listen to it and tell the editor what to, what to, you know, if, how to, how to edit it. And if there's, you know, and so it was just like this thing that I was doing. And I was like, I just don't know if this is adding anything to my life. And so, I mean, yeah, I love the conversations, but, um, beyond that, it felt like a lot of administrative stuff. And so I was like, I'm gonna cut that out. Um, I actually quit drinking and, you know, I'm somebody who, you know, was like a few glasses of wine every night kind of person, um, which also led me to start sleeping better um and like feeling better in my body um I was on all these boards of directors and I quit all of them um I I just started like eliminating things that didn't feel meaningful I used to say yes to pretty much every podcast every project and now I'm really picky about like um what I say yes to and, um, and I've even had to say no to some opportunities that were really cool and exciting because I, I knew that it was going to like, um, make me feel squeezed. And, and like, I think I lived my life feeling like I was in a sardine can or like in a hamster wheel for so long, right? Like just pressure. I was like in a pressure cooker. Um, and, I just, you know, I think from the outside, most people would see like, I am a very positive person and like, I'm, you know, pretty exuberant and like, so a lot, that's real. That's me. But like, I think underneath all of that, you know, I was pretty stressed out and like questioning a lot of my life choices. And um, I was like, oh, just because you have this successful business doesn't mean you have to keep running it in the same way that you have all these years. Just because you've reached this level of success doesn't mean that you have to continue doing living your life in the same way. In fact, you might even have more freedom now to like change things up. So let's look at that. Let's take advantage of that. And I ended up going down to a four day work week, um, which I implemented in January of this year. So I'm on like month, almost month five. Uh, end of month five and it's been amazing and and I really just like have changed my relationship to work um and to and just like um just really only committing to relationships um friendships um obligations um that feel exciting to me and usually that's somewhere in the intersection of cycling creativity and community like those are kind of like pillars of my life um and anything that sort of like 
fits in that that sweet spot there like if the, that was a venn diagram yeah. then I, I mean obviously i do a lot of things in my work life that have nothing to do with cycling <laughs> yeah you know that would be a pretty narrow um thing for me to focus on but you get what i'm saying it's like you know if it here's 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 what makes me happy here's what brings me the most joy what can i do how can i live my life in a way that supports more of that and i just started like saying no eliminating things from my life and you know i even got rid of a bunch of stuff like physical stuff um and you know like my dog one of my dogs died in last august and like the old me would have immediately gone out and got another dog. I already have another dog. So we have two dogs. And then I was like, wait, I don't need another dog. This one dog I have is amazing. Like, I don't, all, all getting another animal is going to do is just caught, you know, like, I'm sure, you know, the right dog would have, you know, brought me more joy, I'm sure. But it also is like more bills and more responsibility and more vet appointments and and so I start, I've just really been in this phase of like questioning why more of the anything, you know, just like really paring down and simplifying my life to just like the stuff that, that, um, makes me happy and, and that I already have and being satisfied with that instead of more work, more friends, more, more this, more that, like it's just less. And I am, I've never felt so happy in my entire life. So, Yeah. So, so loud quitting, let me, let me just go back to it. The loud quitting is like, um, it's kind of like, it's not the opposite of, of quiet quitting, which is like basically, you know, the sort of like phenomenon right now of like people sort of like not going above and beyond at work, um, which I also support, but you know, in most cases, but like, it's not the opposite of that. It's just me just being like, I am actually, I'm not quietly quitting. I'm loud. I'm like, I'm quitting. I'm telling people that I'm quitting. Like I'm quitting this thing. I'm, I'm not doing this kind of work anymore. I don't, you know, I'm not going to serve on this board anymore because I'm, I need more time for myself and just sort of doing that unapologetically. Um, you know, I've been in this position of somebody who's an influencer and like is well known and I get asked to do things a lot for people. And I always have felt this obligation to say yes and which gets me into relationships and you know um kind of cycles of work that um that i'm not even very interested in but you know i've sort of like i'm a people pleaser right so yes 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 i got this i can do that that won't take me very long sure i'll help you with that you know sure i'll help you with that and then the next thing i know i'm just like completely overwhelmed and i'm not taking any time for myself and i'm not very happy and so I just, I'm just not doing that anymore. I'm, qu I'm quitting all of it. Um, and that's not to say that I'm not like taking on new projects and that I'm not continuing projects that are meaningful to me and that I'm not working hard. Um, it's just that I'm much more focused on a few things and doing those few things really well. Um, you know, my, my life is like, I've got two projects this year. Um, they're big projects, but I've got two projects. I've got cycling. I do work pretty intensively with my coach on helping her with this gravel camp that she runs. And, um, you know, I'm in my relationship and I have my dog and I've got like a handful of really great friends and that's it. That's my life. And I am like, if I had told you, if I had kind of tried to describe my life 
a couple of years ago would have felt way bigger and messier than that. Um, so, so yeah, that's loud quitting. <laughs> I love that. I am on a similar thing where I am turning my life, I'm calling it, from a latte into an espresso shot. Yes. Because okay. lattes have so much stuff in them and they're delicious, but there's just so many ingredients and I'm just like, nope, yeah. I want something smaller that's higher octane, yeah. pure. Yeah, pure. And, mm-hmm. and it feels good because I think yeah. um, when you create for a living, I think that no matter what you do, you have to bring all of yourself to what you're making mm-hmm. and you have to be fully present to create. And I think that's super beautiful, but it's exhausting to do that on mm-hmm. command constantly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, like, how do you like to feel when you start a project? Well, I think that's, I, I like to feel excited uh-huh. and um, like connected. And I think that's part of what I've done this year is I really started to shift the focus to personal work. And I just so happened to have like, have two big exhibitions at the um in the fall that I'm working on right now and you know when you have your as an artist when you have your own exhibition you get to drive what you make you get to create the body of work and so much of my career has been working with clients and being art directed and um and I have so much fun doing that you know it's it pays the bills it's been great but I am taking a break from that this year. I've done a, a few small client jobs this year, but like for the most part, this is the first year in my entire career where I'm most of my work is self-directed and I have opportunities, you know, that are goal oriented um, and that will eventually make, might make me money. But I, and that is so motivating and exciting to me. Um, you know, and when I do client work, especially now, um, I mean, I used to just sort of say yes to everything, Mm -hmm. but now it's really about like, do I share values with this client? Like, am I excited about this project? Can I see myself in it? Can Mm -hmm. I see my, you know, can I, can, does my, is my, is my style conducive to what, what it is they want? Um, and I ask a lot of questions before I sign anything with the client to make sure that that connection is there and that, that what they're dreaming of for me to do is something that resonates with me. Um, and I think it takes a lot of um, self-control sometimes to like stop and ask those questions. Uh-huh. You know, the inclination I think for all of us is like either yes or no. And I think often for me, it's a maybe and like going through that exploration, is this the right project for me? Because I do really want to feel excited when I start a project. I do really want to feel connected um, so that when I get up in the morning, I'm excited to work on it. Um, And that is, you know, oftentimes client projects start off that way and then they get really, like, get in the weeds, you know, and things can get really difficult and, you know, the client wants a million changes or they think they know what they want, but then you make what they ask you to make and then they realize that's not what they wanted in the first place and you know it's it's it can be exhausting as I'm sure you (laughs) oh yeah you know so yeah oh yeah (laughs) but you know I like I love that I mean I imagine you know for you that most of your career has been like working with folks in the outdoor industry right like you really found this niche and I have sort of a much more like I think this is true for a lot of illustrators like 
um, there are some niche illustrators, but like most of us will take whatever work, right? So we, we work in a variety of, of um, industries and I'm sort of like imagining my future, you know, I'm 55. I, I'm probably never going to stop making art, but like at some point I'm going to retire from like owning this business and, you know, and I'm like, what do I want the next 10 years of my life to look like? And I'm getting there, but I'm starting to think like, oh, you know, mostly I want to be working in the bike or outdoor industry. And because those are things that are personally interesting to me. And that's where I spend a lot of my time outside of my job. And, um, and I also want to be making personal work that's making a difference in the world. And fortunately, I can do those things, some of those things now. But when I think about like really focusing in on what I want over the next 10 years, like that's really what I'm thinking about. And um, and that's exciting to me that like I've gotten to the place where I can actually be that picky about the work that I take. You know, I think the outdoor industry needs a little more color and pizzazz <laughs> and joy uh, that you bring. So I think that is a wonderful fit. Um, what's different for you when you have a personal project? Like what's the difference in what you bring to the table or to the studio? Um, between like when it's yours and when it's client work? Well, typically when it's client work, there's always a creative brief with, you know, art direction. And, you know, there's either like, um, you know, there's usually like a PDF that has, you know, the color palette or like the taglines. And then like, then there's inspiration images that are sometimes my work like what attracts them to what I do and then other imagery that might be other work of other artists or uh, photographs or like the vibe that they're going for. And sometimes that work is really easy because they're basically like, we want you to do this. And I'm like, great. And I'm done in two weeks. Maybe there's a little back and forth. And sometimes it's a little more difficult than that, but you're always, even though you're using your own style, your own way of drawing things, you're always trying to create something that makes the client happy, right? And that they want to see and get excited about. And I love making clients happy. Like I make that, I might, you know, that might come off as negative, but it's not necessarily like, I actually think I'm really well cut out for client work because I love taking a client's vision and then like infusing my own creativity into it. And I love ideating with art directors and creative directors about like ideas. Um, that work is like been so fulfilling for me and I've learned so much. And the fact, like I have to pinch myself sometimes, like the fact that I can make something that, you know, some creative director of some big brand that they love and are excited to put out into the world, like, how cool is that? Like, I, I really do love that I can execute on somebody else's vision. Like that's a skill, right? And it's a skill I've developed over the last 20 years that I've been doing this. Um, but, but, but it's always this sort of collaborative effort with, I mean, most of the time it's collaborative. Sometimes it's not so collaborative, but you know, it's always, and I love that part of the job. Like it keeps it not from not being so lonely. Personal work is so different. Um, and sometimes there is this weird intersection. Like I just did this poster for the Library of Congress uh, for the National Book Festival. It hasn't come out yet, but um, 
it, it, it was just like, they basically were like, we love what you do. The Librarian of Congress has selected you for this project, and we would like um, you to just do you. So we want you to design this poster. And I literally designed a poster, and they approved it because they loved it. And they, they're going to take elements from the poster and use it for like other things at the festival. But it was kind of this amazing job where I was like, okay, what would I want the poster to look like? And, you know, or the visuals for the for this book festival. And I kind of got to be like a student almost doing a student project, you know, where I had some art direction. It has to have these words on it and needs to relate to books and, you know, writing. But and I and I got to do this thing and I was really proud of it. And I I loved it and they loved it. And, you know, that that was like this rare kind of opportunity that sometimes happens. Um. But really with personal work, it's like um, any quirky thing that I'm obsessed with out in the world or for me, you know, anything that's like um, part of, like I'm just an inspiration collector. Um, I love folk art. I love like outdoor like imagery. I love um, anything that's like mid-century vibe. And so, for example, recently I went to Japan for this residency and I came back and my job was to create some work ar- about this um, trip. And two of the posters are going to be released soon that I created, you know, with inspiration for my trip. And then I have a show in Philadelphia in October that's, you know, also related to this trip to Japan. So my job was to go to Japan and like take pictures and just soak in every visual thing that was interesting to me and then come home and make art about it. Like how cool is that? Right? Like somebody paid for me to go to Japan so that I could go to this country that is like so visually stimulating, you know, observe all of these amazing things, come back and make work that was inspired by that. And so, um, that's just one example of like, it's just fun because there's no rules. Like I get to do whatever I want. You know, the one thing was the screen print, one of the screen prints could only be three colors. So I had to choose the three colors that I was going to use to create this art that was going to be screen printed into this poster. You know, that was like the only constraint, right? Otherwise I could do whatever I wanted. And I think part of what I love about personal work is that I can do whatever I want and I can use my own you know, and so much of my work has like messages in it. And so it's just my platform for talking about stuff that I think matters in the world. And, um, and that's just like, that's the coolest thing. Like I, it never gets old. I never run out of ideas. I'm always excited to make new work. And, um, it just like this uses this whole different part of my brain than working on client work. I mean, they're both great, but they're just really different. Oh, Yes. I love, I love your whole explanation of that. Um, and I also think you've done a really good job treating yourself as like, in a way, like a non-renewable, not sustainable resource. Um, and I think that you've been really, really intelligent about having books and card decks and like productizing your work so that people can enjoy it. And it's not dependent upon an exchange of like you for money. 
Yeah, ex- exactly. And I, you know, that's a whole other arm of my business that we haven't talked about. It's like, I do client work, I do personal work, but so much of my personal work is like creating things that I can sell and monetize like prints and books and cards and puzzles and tote bags and things like that, um, that like give other, give people joy and, and also like allow me to run a business. And, um, it's, it's this way of like, um, you know, like having personal work, but also like, um, creating things that people can either use or want or that bring people joy, you know? Um, like people all say to me all the time, your, your heart makes me so happy, you know? And, um, and I'm so glad that I have like things that people can, can have or purchase that remind them, you know, to tap into their own joy. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think you've done it so well. So, um, thank you. Yeah. I, I think like, I don't believe in the starving artist, um, story (laughs) I just don't believe in it and so I think yeah that you're someone that really does a good job um using your talent to run an actual business so yeah yeah I think that's like becoming more and more common now um when I was starting out I think part of this I wrote this book this other book before find your artistic voice called art inc the essential guide to building your career as an artist and I wrote that when I was still like my business hadn't grown as as big as it is now. And, um, but I, I knew a thing or two about like, you know, I, I hadn't had any training. Like I didn't go to school to, you know, to learn how to make art. I had never taken a professional practice class and yet I had sort of figured out how to cull together this living for myself. And I think there's something about, you know, I'm kind of like scrappy in that way. Like I just sort of was like, it's not an option for me to not do not survive or to, it's not an option for me to starve. I mean, there were times when I only had $20 in my bank account, but I figured it out, right? I'm going to always um, focus on like the next thing that I can do that's going to help me do this, you know, full time. And, um, and I figured it out in a relatively short period of time to the point where this publisher was like, we want you to write a book about this. Um, and 10 years later, the 10 year anniversary of the book is coming up, but like nice. 10 years later, of course I would write the book differently, but like, I kind of appreciate that it was written from the perspective of somebody who was really in the first 10 years of her career and like, was still kind of in the process of figuring things out because I think it made the book really relatable for people who are, and still makes the book relatable for people who are first starting out. Like there is a, a bit of like, you know, um, you know, a bit of scrappiness to the book, even in like, um, this idea that you can't put all your eggs in one basket, you know, you have to constantly be thinking about all the different ways that you can get your work into the world and all the ways, different ways you can make a little bit of money here and there in order to survive mm-hmm. and thrive eventually. Yeah. Yeah. I once worked with a rancher and he basically said the same thing. He's like, if, if this field isn't producing i need this field you know and he's like so you have a bunch of buckets and anyway you you're nailing it on the buckets yeah Uh, um okay i guess my very last question to you is what have i not asked you that you'd like to share with our audience that's a big one i i can't think of anything (laughs) you've asked me so many good questions (laughs) i yeah i mean i've i've um 
yeah, I was really excited to talk to you on so many levels. And I think um, the audience is going to absolutely adore this. So where can they find you? Where can they hire you? Um, and where oh. can they check out your work? Yeah. So first and foremost, my um, my work lives um, and my shop lives on my website, which is just my name, lisacongian.com. And um, there are links there to classes I teach and my books and all of my products and information um, about pretty much everything that I do. The other place that I hang out is Instagram. So it's my name, um, at Lisa Congdon. And um, I don't post every day, but I do post several times a week. And I'm more active on stories than anything. <laughs> snippets of my life and my and my practice um and yeah I also have a, a shop in Portland it's at the front of my studio right now although we're moving um into um there's this like fantastic like um shop full of shops in Portland called Cargo and so we're moving into the Cargo Emporium in July um so I'll be at a different location but you can always check out um you know where we are when you come if you come to visit portland um so you can come kind of like um dive into all of the amazing products that we have to offer so cool yeah well thank yeah thank you so much and uh i really appreciate with all your loud quitting that you said yes to this so <laughs> um no i was excited because i i read about you know um kind of like the description of your of your podcast and I was like that this fits into my Venn diagram so there you go <laughs> well thank you so much Lisa for being on the show that meant a lot to me personally and all my nerdy design friends we were all just freaking out um and I would you know maybe love to work with you at some point so thank you and um to our audience i hope you got a lot out of that too i feel like i learned a lot in this one and am on kind of a oddly similar path in a different way um so that feels really good see your experience mirrored in someone else and yeah i just love that one so to our listeners if you enjoyed this podcast feel free to uh leave a comment give it five stars help it get into the ears of more humans. And as always, thank you for being here. <laughs> <laughs>